On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If anyone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thoughts to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranates and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Many thanks, William and Lizzie, uh, for reading. And um, I'm just going to um, take down the PowerPoint and get this up. Sorry for the delay. Well, it's uh, lovely to see you all again, um, still on the screen, but um, together nevertheless. And um, as we start, I want you to imagine for a moment life beyond this present coronavirus crisis. You're able to freely move again, able to see family and friends, to go on a walk with others, enjoy a coffee in town, a drink in the pub, a meal out with the people you love. Imagine returning to grow groups, 
to sharing news and laughing together, to gathering around God's word and praying in person for one another. Imagine that first church service at Warwick Road or Prescott Avenue on a Sunday, when we'll be able to shake hands and hugs, to sit among each other, to hear the word of the Lord, to stand and sing together. I imagine it will be a bit louder than usual. Um, and to share in and receive the gift that is the Lord's Supper. Imagine how brilliant that will be. But why will it be so brilliant? I've no doubt that we're all longing for those things in a way that we might not have longed for them ever before. Because a phone call is just not the same as face-to-face. Eating on your own might be a necessity at the moment, but it's not preferable to sharing a meal with others. And as much as this technology is great, it's no substitute for embodied, gathered, corporate worship in one place as Christ's one people. It should go without saying that it's been a really difficult time for many already and will continue to be so for a while. In fact, as the government have hinted, it will probably become worse before it gets better. We're being forced to reckon with bad feelings and perhaps pain and anxiety like never before. But with the eyes of faith, what else can and should we expect out of this? Specifically, how might the Lord use this time of our suffering and separation to transform, even refresh, our knowledge, love, and affection for him and for one another? In his providence and by the Holy Spirit's work in us, how is God using our experience of this global crisis to change us, to lead us back to him, to grow his church, and even to bless us to his glory? Now, they're not easy questions, and we won't be able to tie all up our our answers nice and neatly. But those are some of the things that we'll be reflecting on uh, today as we consider the Lord's word to us through the prophet Haggai. Now the um, next oracle, this message from the Lord, beginning in chapter 2 verse 10, comes to the people two months after the last. And at first it might seem strange that Haggai should begin with a conversation about ritual purity. In fact, the, um, uh, the, this isn't really a new message. Um, the prophet returns to his original message in chapter 1. The reason that the people did not experience God's blessing is because they'd been unfaithful to the covenant between them and the Lord. They'd rejected the means of fellowship that God graciously offered to them and turned to other things. However, here, using an example from the Levitical laws as a parable about Israel, Haggai shows that covenant obedience is not just an external thing, doing the right stuff. It's also a matter of internal disposition. In other words, it's a matter of the heart. Reading from verse 11. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. In other words, if something that is clean merely touches another thing, does it transfer its cleanness? Well, no, it does not. It's a bit like if I wash my hands really well with soap and warm water for 20 seconds and then shake your hand. 
your hand doesn't become clean. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it does become defiled. On the other hand, if something that is dirty touches another thing, it does leave a mark. And we all know that really well at the moment. The COVID-19 virus is highly contagious. It doesn't just, you know, it doesn't take much contact to transfer. And once you've contracted it, you can't just carry on as normal because wherever you go and whatever you do and whatever you touch will be affected, contaminated. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer um, is defiled. The point is, if the people are not purified and made, made holy in their hearts, then whatever they build with their hands, including this new temple, and whatever ritual sacrifices they offer, will be impure too. That's why they weren't experiencing blessing. And in case they don't get it, the Lord through Haggai says, think about it, think back, verse 15. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. How were things before you started rebuilding again? when you are still distracted and dragging your feet and half-hearted about your work for your relationship and your relationship with the Lord. How did that go for you? Isn't it true, verse 16, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10? When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20? There was a shortage of supply. Your cupboards were empty. Life was hard. And that's because I struck all the works of your hand, says the Lord. They acted as if life could be run without reference to God, as if grace could still be theirs while neglecting the means of grace God had generously given to them. Essentially, they didn't want the Lord. They just wanted things on their own terms. That much is obvious. And so he withheld his blessing. Now that judgment and discipline, which we talked about last time on the people, was the Lord's doing. They experienced blight and mildew and hail and meager harvest because they did not return to the Lord. Now that might also raise some deep questions for you. So make, let me make this clear uh, right, um, right now that we don't know specifically why the Lord has allowed the COVID-19 spread to happen. Uh, for instance, there is no reason to attribute it as a judgment on a particular sin of a particular people like we have recorded here in Haggai. That said, there are some things we know about God and about what he's doing in a time like this, because he tells us about them. And here are just three of those things, three things uh, to consider today. Here's the first. God has not lost control. As much as it is tempting to think of the coronavirus as something that is thwarting God's plans, that is simply not the case. The book of Haggai, in fact, the whole of the Old Testament is full of examples of God's control over everything. The heavens and the earth were created at God's word. The floods were sent at his command. Sarah had a baby by God's promise. Joseph was sold into slavery according to God's plan. 
The Israelites were rescued from Egypt because God delivered them. They inherited the promised land because God was with them. They were exiled to Babylon because of God's discipline. And then they returned because God stirred up the heart of a pagan King Cyrus to permit it. The Lord Jesus himself says that not one sparrow falls to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Likewise, Paul says in Acts 17, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And in him, we live and move and have our being. All of this is summarized by the doctrine of divine providence, which can be defined um, like this. I'll just bring it up onto the screen for our benefit. Um, um, or maybe not. <laughs> I'll read it to you because um, I'm struggling technologically while preaching at the same time. Um, it says this, it's from the Heidelberg Catechism, question um, and answer number 27. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. What that means is that God rules and overrules in all the circumstances of life. But how is that a comfort in times like this? Well, it's a comfort because it means that our days are not at the mercy of fate or chance. We're not driven blindly along by impersonal and changeable forces. We are, despite appearances, at all times and in all places, under the care of our loving Father in heaven. I like the quote from John Piper who says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of just three of them. And that provides us with a bit of perspective and humility when asking questions of God's mysterious workings in the world. But it also assures us of this second point, that God is working for our good. Haggai chapter 2, verse 18. From this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Some of you already know that I've suffered and still occasionally experience periods of very acute and debilitating anxiety and or depression. It's been my life for about 14 years. And without going into detail, there were times when I felt completely empty, utterly disoriented and helpless, like things couldn't possibly get better. Now, I don't share that because I want your sympathy. In fact, what I want to say is that even if I could, I wouldn't change anything about it. And that's because it was through the trials 
in my weakness and despair that the Lord shaped my heart and soul in ways I never thought possible. Now, don't get me wrong, I still struggle. My anxiety has not been solved or put to bed. However, in my trouble, I've encountered the Lord's comfort. I've experienced Christ's tenderness and compassion. I've had certain idols exposed as empty and worthless. I've been moved to repent of sin. I've been helped to face my fears. I've been able to help others with similar difficulties. And by God's grace, I've grown in faith and adoration of him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's been encouraging to hear how some of you have shared similar things, even this week in the light of COVID-19. One person said that she and her household had noticeably grown in gratitude. Another friend said, I don't think I've prayed, give us today our daily bread so thoughtfully before. Families are praying and singing to the Lord for the first time. Others from St. Paul's have come out of the woodwork to offer help to those in need. And surely all of us have been forced to realize just how fragile life is and just how much we need the Lord who is more than willing to offer himself to us. We can be grateful for all of those things. The Lord was always near the Israelites, but it was because of the trials and struggles imposed upon them that they ended up returning to the Lord and experiencing his blessing and presence in a renewed way. Of course, the supreme way that the Lord at work, uh, that we see the Lord at work in this way is through Christ's own suffering and death. It's through the destruction and resurrection of his body, the true temple, that we are brought into permanent presence uh, with God forever. Just as they looked back on the foundation stones being laid, so we can look back on that day as God's promise to bless us. But we can also look forward with hope and confidence because in the same way that the exile led to restoration for the Israelites in Haggai's day, just as death gave way to resurrection in the Lord Jesus Christ, so we, as we draw closer to and face the prospect of our own deaths, are being prepared for resurrection life. And that's the third thing. God, through this, is preparing us for death and resurrection life. The truth is, we will all die. Not necessarily of COVID-19, but the disease is a reminder that none of us are immune to sin and death in this fallen world. Yet, the Christian hope is that death is not the end Notice how this final oracle from verse 20 is delivered to one person, to Zerubbabel. Um, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow, overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of, of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, Horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord.
the Lord Almighty. Zerubbabel was there in the first verse of the book, and he's here in the last. Why is he so significant? Not because Zerubbabel would lead a revolt to overthrow the Persian Empire. There's no mention of Persia here. Rather, Zerubbabel is important because he is a descendant of King David, through whom God made a promise that a Messiah would emerge from his family line, and that this Messiah's throne and kingdom would last forever. Zerubbabel is a reminder that God has not forgotten his promises. He's a representation of God's Messiah who will come to reign over God's covenant people and to overturn the rejection of God in the world on a global scale. He's like God's signet ring because he is a symbol of the Messiah's office and authority. He is, in other words, the anticipation of Christ, the conqueror of sin, evil, and death the one who will bring us to final rest in the presence of God. Now, Easter is on the way. Sadly, we won't be able to be together as we'd like. But as we close, imagine once again what life will be like in the post-COVID-19 um, world. How will the Lord use this time of separation and difficulty for our good? For blessing. While well, confident that God has not lost control, that he is present and at work in the lowest times of our lives, assured that in Christ he is working for our good, our sanctification and our growth and adoration of him, and in the certainty of sharing in Christ's resurrection life, there is much to anticipate and much to look forward to with confidence and hope. So may that encourage and stir our hearts in our troubles. And let's commit ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Um, I'm going to read an old prayer now. It's a, um, an old Puritan prayer called the Valley of Vision. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, you have brought me to the Valley of Vision where I live in the depths, but see you in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold your glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells, and the deeper the wells, the brighter your stars shine. Let me find your light in my darkness, your life in my death, your joy in my sorrow, your grace in my sin, your riches in my poverty, your glory in my valley. Amen. Well, in response to 